Well, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we praise and we thank you for gathering us this evening. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit now upon us, because you promised where two or three are gathered in your name, there our Lord is with us. Make your presence known, make us aware of you, and give us the wisdom to penetrate more deeply into our faith. Come, Holy Spirit, all your angels and saints intercede on our behalf, that we may encounter our Lord more deeply this night. Come, Holy Spirit. And we ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming. Oh, beautiful. I, 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 love, I love teaching. I love teaching the faith. I love teaching. And, uh, but I must warn you, I think I bit off too much. I bit off too much because the, the title of the flyer says, The Book That Belt Western Civilization, The Development of the Bible. We could literally spread out this topic into an entire year college course and yeah so so my goal is is just to paint with huge broad brushes and i'll try to i'll try to remain on focus about what idea shaped us what um what how the bible developed and in 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 future talk because i hope eventually to do this every month some kind of theological topic and again even the hard stuff I bring up the hard stuff, and I would love to research it and do a presentation. Like, for example, popular ones, uh, how can we prove God's existence? And there are rational proofs so we can go out. How do we prove God's existence? We can even go over uh, the other side, atheistic um, arguments against God, and how do we counteract that? How do we answer them? So, like, topics that are, that are tough, I want to delve into that. And, again, that's why I said before, that's why you guys pay me so much money. Right, it's to delve into the big, the big bucks topic. So, all right. So my argument is today, very simple. Is that the Bible, or rather our civilization, is built upon certain ideas? And remember, ideas are critical. Ideas are what shape us, is what shapes societies. And so we think about it. Right now, we live in the most prosperous, the most technologically advanced, the most wealthy, the most freest civilization that's ever existed. Why? Why? How did we get here? Or rather, what are the pillars that build Western civilization? Again, if you look at our world, we have what, what makes our society so, so amazing is our, our, our advancements in science, right? Why does science arise where it did and how it did? Because it, it, it is through science that all of these amazing breakthroughs, which all of us, we just wake up and we just assume that, oh, it's there, right? But it was the result of all these amazing breakthroughs, and there's an idea there. Or rather, this idea that why, why is my dignity and your dignity equal with every a single human being, right? The whole idea of liberty is based on the value of every single human person. Where does that idea come from? Again, I, I say these ideas and you should be saying, duh, right? Of course, it's a no-brainer. That's actually a good thing. Why? Because it means these ideas have so penetrated our consciousness, it's like the air we breathe. We don't even notice it. None of us knows the molecules. We don't notice the oxygen molecules that we're breathing. Why? Because we just, we, just, we just do it. We don't think about it. The idea of liberty, the idea of the individual having value. Again, why are we so prosperous as a nation? Again, we are the most prosperous nation that's ever existed. Why? Based on capitalism, correct? The free market. What is the free market based upon? The individual who has free choice who willingly engages in, in transactions, right? We have the freedom that I can engage with you in transactions, right? Well, there's an idea inherent in that, that you have free will, choice, value to engage in commerce, whatever that means. If you want to if, if buy a truck and sell ice cream out of it, right? Become the ice cream truck, which we all love when we hear that music, right? You have the freedom to do that. 
And so we're, why are we capitalistic? Why we have liberty? Why did, why, why did we fight slavery? Where did Martin Luther King get the idea to start the civil rights movement? Right? And where does science arise? Again, these are all unique characteristics of what we call Western civilization. That's why I love this quote from our Holy Father, Pope Francis. The Bible is a highly dangerous book. So dangerous that you are treated as in some countries as if you were hiding hand grenades in your closet. And that's literally true. Try going to Saudi Arabia with the Bible. Try going to North Korea with the Bible. Try going to China with the Bible. So in some countries, indeed, the Bible is a dangerous book. So let's, to kind of break this down, I want to I tell you a story. Let's, uh, let's set the framework of the ancient world. So before, before Judaism, so this is ancient Rome, more or less, you know, 117 according to the map. But ancient Rome, the idea of, uh, kind of get an idea of where we are. Of course, Italy, Greece, Spain, North Africa, kind of get, give you an idea so in the ancient world, it was all about polytheism, right? multiple gods, right? There's gods everywhere. In fact, the one of the reasons what made what later would be Christians so irritating, by the way, was that our ancestors refused to offer incense to the Roman emperor. Why? Because the Roman emperor, again, had fancied himself a god. And so the ancient Christians said, no, we will not offer incense to you. And so what did they do to our ancestors? Killed them. So the Romans were actually very, very religious. You see, the Romans, whenever, so Rome, of course, here's here's Rome. Whenever they would conquer a neighboring region, so as as they're spreading, this this is the height of their power, the Roman Empire. This is during the period what's called the Pax Romana, Roman peace. A 200-year period where there was relatively peace in the empire. Do we have any Germans here? Any German backgrounds? Oh, your people were stubborn. The, The Romans could not conquer you. The Romans could not conquer you. Notice here, right here, this is the the Danube River, right here. So that's like the northern part of Germany. So, so Germania, they, they, they were able to conquer the northern or the southern Germans. So, so but uh, they had the hardest time conquering you guys. You guys were fierce. And eventually, about a thousand years later, no, about 600 years later, you guys, your, your ancestors will come sweeping down and sack Rome. Because you guys remembered all oh, these Romans. Some of them, right. Uh, any Scots here? Scots, oh, your people were stubborn too. Look at this, look at this, look at this. See that, see that line there, right? That's Scotland, pretty much. That's Scotland over here. Why? Because the Romans kept invading, and you guys kept beating them back. And so Hadrian, Emperor Hadrian, said, we can't keep conquering these guys. They keep, they keep kicking our butts, right? So they literally built a wall across the island. Hadrian's wall. Because they said, don't go over there. The crazy Scots are there. Right? Braveheart is over there. Mel Gibson is hanging out <laughs> over here. So we, don't, we don't want to mess with Mel Gibson, so the Romans built the wall. So when the Romans would conquer you, right, they would adopt your gods. They would adopt the different gods that you had. And so they had a plethora of different gods. And so, notice now then, the worldview is we are at the whim of the different gods. We are at their whim. The order of the universe is dependent upon which is the biggest god. So that's the, that's the world view. We have to appease the gods, so they do what our bidding is, but the gods were constantly fighting against each other. I mean, Zeus was fighting against all these different gods, and so, and so whoever was the main god would win out. And so that's the world view. Appease the gods, that's them, right? And so, so that's the, oh, the cool thing. So, again, this is the greatest preserved 
Roman building that, that still stands. It's the Pantheon, as we call it. So there's the Pantheon here. Uh, it's still, I mean, it's pretty much, I mean, it's a little beat up. I mean, for being, if you're 1900 years old, you look a little beat up yourself, right? <laughs> so it's a little beat up. So, but this is, a, it's dedicated to all the gods, to kind of give you an idea of all the different gods, right? So they have all the different gods there. They're all situated there. Uh, there's a great pizza place here. You ever one pizza? That's a, that's a good pizza place. It's a, it's a beautiful building. That's the inside of it. Is that amazing? Isn't that cool? So there's a, literally a hole in top. There's a hole there, right? And then uh, all these little areas here, there would have been images of different gods here. All the different gods. And so what they would do is they would put a, they had a fire burning here, and the smoke would rise up. They would offer sacrifices to the different gods, and then, and then the smoke would go up here and come out. And what's cool, too, when you go, if they go there at night, stand there, and you can look up, you can see the stars, too. So what that's supposed to, it's supposed to connect the human realm with the, with the realm of the gods. So that was the idea of it. So again, all these different gods now. Uh, so it kind of gives you an idea. See the light comes through? Again, all of this is all, all what the Romans built. I mean, they're amazing. This is, this is all inlaid marble. So each, this isn't paint. It's stone, which they carved piece by piece, and they put them in. Right? It's utterly amazing. Look what they did. So beautiful. So, this pantheon now is called uh, our, it's, it's now a Catholic church. It's called uh, our, our Lady of the Martyrs of the martyrs uh why that name and what and this is why by the way this building is still intact it was turned it was the earliest church dedicated to our lady in rome uh, i think 476 if i have my dates correct uh, and the reason why it wasn't destroyed was because see what we did remember rome is packed rome is packed all different temples as christianity ascends and and paganism declines christians took apart their temples and reuse the marble, the stone, the columns to build churches. This one was preserved because we said, oh, such a beautiful building. Let's just put altars in there and call it Catholic Church. And so let's not destroy it. So that's why it was never destroyed, why it's well preserved. And you can still go to Mass here, by the way. There's all these different altars here. There's the main altar there. And, oh, fun fact. On the Feast of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, they have, at the end of Mass... Roman firefighters will climb to the very top of here and they'll throw rose petals down. And so it rains down rose petals. And the people and the kids are running around. It's great. So, different gods. Can I give you an idea? All these different gods. Now. Enter Judaism. So the Jews begin to speak a new revelation that there is one God only. Think of the first commandment, right? You shall have no other gods above me. See, all of a sudden, and now think back to Genesis. The idea of Genesis that God creates. He creates, it said in Genesis that, that the world is a formless wasteland, right? And then God comes, and we know that story well, the, cre the creation narrative of the seven days of creation, right? The new idea that enters into the world, which first changes us now, is the idea that God is outside of time, outside of the created order. Again, you're thinking, okay, so what's a big deal? Again, remember, they have all these different gods. Nobody had the idea that God was outside of the universe, right? God was simply part of the universe. Uh, creation was eternal. I mean, there, there, you think about the Mesopotamians, the Babylonians, even Native Americans. Uh, the, the, the idea of, of the world was that the world has always existed, that it was cycl cyclical, right? Reincarnation, it was this constant cycle, right? But the idea that the Jews now give, give the world 
that God is outside of this. He precedes time, space, matter. And out of, out, of, out of sheer goodness, he creates the universe, puts it into being. Boom. That's the first time this idea that God is the creator. What does that do now to our consciousness? No longer are we enslaved to Apollo. No longer are we enslaved to the whims of Zeus or Athena, right? Who were basically bigger, badder versions of ourselves, essentially. But rather, what the Jews now do is that when they, when, when they reveal this God and this moral order, that God is outside of that, these other gods are false, and that now there's a moral standard to how we should behave. Not just because I'm the bigger God than you. Right? No. And then now the Ten Commandments, right? Love the Lord your God, shall not know God above you. And the whole list, you know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy mother and thy father. A moral standard now is given to us. We're all called to behave. So that's why to the Jewish people, they're, all, they're, very, they're very insular. They're very, they're very intact, right? They, they, they want to preserve themselves because they've been given this new revelation. Now, this idea, God creates. Utterly huge. First piece of Western civilization. Again, this idea did not enter anyone's mind until this point. Ah, anybody been to Athens? Ah, so you should recognize this place. This is the most famous place in all of Athens. So this, this is the Acropolis, right? This amazing, beautiful temple, that's the remains of Athena's temple. And so remember in their temples, again, so, so, so there, there would be an image of the goddess of Athena in there, and then the, the, every good Greek would come, would come and offer sacrifices and so this whole temple mount is the highest part in the city of Athens, where all the different gods now. <coughs> what Athens brings to the table of Western civilization, think now of Aristotle, Plato, right? Just to make a long story short, what the Greeks give us is the power of the mind. That virtue is the ability to use our reason to understand the world. That the human mind is a powerful instrument that we can understand through reason, through, through the Socratic method of asking questions to arrive at an objective truth. Right? See, that's key now, what the, what, the, what the Athenian, what the Greeks would add to us. So again, if you read Aristotle, one of the greatest philosophers... He, he, I mean, his mind uh, of using logic and rationality in order to penetrate the mysteries of the world would, would be, would be, um, would be counterculture, not counterculture, would be mind-breaking, culture-breaking. To kind of give you an idea of uh, where we're situated. So, Aristotle was the tutor of Alexander the Great. You remember who Alexander the Great is? So, second century, one of the greatest military minds is Alexander the Great. By the time, to kind of give you an idea, by the time he was 35, Alexander the Great, he had conquered the known world. He, at one point, even says that at one point he cried. He wept. Why? Because there was nobody else to conquer. <laughs> he was that, he had that ability. Uh, he had that, it's almost like Napoleon. Napoleon has some good qualities too. Was that he had the ability to look at a battlefield and to make adjustments immediately to know, to, to have the upper advantage. And so he would arrive and he would, he would arrange his forces in such a way and they're able to attack and to, to always dominate. Alexander the Great, his tutor, was Aristotle himself, right? And so kind of give you an idea of the connections of the different people. Uh, Alexander, and remember that fact, Alexander the Great, speaking Greek, because that will lead more into uh, when finally Jesus arrives on the scene. So, does that make sense? The, what the Greeks give Western civilization is the power of our minds, Use your reason, your rationality to penetrate the truth. And we can find objective truth. We don't have time to go into it now, but Aristotle would, in a beautiful argument, argue that you can, with pure reason alone, you can arrive at a creator. Right. Just through reason alone, not through revelation, but just through logic, we can arrive that there is indeed a God. 
what is this God? Who is this God? We can't really know that, but we can arrive that there is a, a higher power through reason alone. So that's what the Greeks give us. So as we continue to move through, as the Jews now enter into the religious framework of, of the ancient world, another idea which the Jews give us is that as God created humanity, he creates us, and you guys will know this, in his image and likeness. That every single human being is created, as we call it in Latin, the imago dei, the image of God. This idea now is new. Why? Because again, for us as modern people, we think, of course, everybody has human dignity, right? Well, not at that time period. If you were a higher class, you had higher dignity. If you were a Roman emperor, you had higher dignity. If you were a slave, you had lower dignity. I mean, that's why the Colosseum exists, right? Well, what is the Colosseum? That's where they put gladiators, slaves, in battle with lions. By the way, you know why there's no lions now in northern Africa? Because <laughs> the Romans killed them all. Because <laughs> they took them to their games and they used them for sport. And so that's why there's no lions anymore in, in, in northern Africa. Because it was popular. If you think about it, a big old cat, throw a slave in there with a sword. <laughs> I call that a Friday night. That's, that's interesting. So, at least for them, that, that's why they built a Colosseum. Right? Thousands were killed in that Colosseum. So if you were a slave, you didn't have human dignity. Those outside of your village or your culture or your town didn't have human dignity. Right? Ah, but now the Jews say, Every single human being is created in the image and likeness of God. Ooh, that idea will eventually send shockwaves. And you'll see shortly. So it's a new idea. Two new ideas. God, outside of the universe, creates. Boom. Right? God, now, every single human being says we're all in the image and likeness of God. Human dignity, value, worth. Boom. New idea. Enter Jesus. We now come to the first century. Jesus proclaims that he is the fulfillment of the long expectation of the coming of the Messiah for the Jewish people. That's the difference between Christianity and our Jewish brothers and sisters. They do not accept Jesus as the Messiah. So that's the main, we don't have time to go into that, but that's the main distinction. But Christ reveals that he is now the Messiah, which the Jewish people have been waiting for. Christ comes in. Now he tells us the ideas that... What he now, what enters into our consciousness is that there's no longer, as St. Paul would say, Greek, no, no, no longer any Gentiles, nor men, nor women, meaning he, he, sends, he universalizes the view of the Jewish people, right? Because remember, the Jewish people were insular. They had to protect what's been given to them. They've been attacked by all these different regions, all these different empires, right? So the Jews are protecting themselves. Christ comes in as a Jew. He universalizes now the message of, of, of Judaism and in a sense fulfills it and in fact extends it now. That he, he says, as he sends his apostles out into the world, go out to all the nations now, right? Bring everybody into the kingdom now. Now the message isn't just meant for a, a, a small group of people. It's meant for the entire world now. So that's 2,000 years ago. Scholar Rodney Stark would say in the year 40, so the year 40, there was about, he estimates, about 1,000 Christians. By the year 300, there's 6 million of us. You break that down, that's every 10 years, Christianity jumped 40%. The first three centuries. Why is that? At first, Christianity spread through the underclass, through slaves. Because now, imagine, if I'm a slave in the Roman Empire, I have no dignity. You can kill me at any time. I'm property to you. All of a sudden, a Christian comes up to me and says, hey, hey, slave boy, right? Slave girl. You're creating the image and likeness of God. Really? You have human dignity. God dies for you. For me? I'm just a slave. What are you talking about? Yes, you, 
Christ shed his blood for you. Really? See, that idea now penetrates. That's why Christianity begins to spread like wildfire. And one of the reasons why, again, in the first three centuries, we had no structures, no schools or hospitals like we do now. But Christianity spread. And one of the main reasons why, and, and, and you see this in the ancient writings of the early church, was because it would say, look at the Christians. Look at how they love one another. See, we won over the ancient world through our love. You see, it didn't matter now what, what culture, what background, what social status you were a part of. I love you and, and, and we share our lives with you now. See, that's what converted the early church, by the way, was the witness of Christianity because we spread, we kept, we kept spreading. In fact, this is a funny story. Uh, there was an emperor, uh, don't quote me on the date, but 6th century around that time, he's now known to us as just, Justin the Apostate. Justin the Apostate. Because by, uh, by the 5th century, all the Roman emperors were Christian at this point. But then Justin was, uh, was upset at that fact. And so he tried to undo Christianity, which now had penetrated the upper classes. And so he wanted to get rid of Christianity and to reinstate the pagan religions again, right, the temples. And so what Justin tried to do, and it kind of shows testimony to the power of our witness what Justin tried to do was that uh, he shut down all our charities and he tried to move the state to where, to where the church used to be in all our charitable works, giving out bread, healing people, reaching out. He tried to make the state do that instead of the church. But he eventually died and then we kicked out his policies and we reinstated Christianity again. But notice one of his first moves was, oh, if I want to win back the empire, I got to behave like the Christians who are so charitable, it's irritating. So that's what, what he did there. So now, you see those big pieces. Human dignity, everybody. God is outside of time. And God now, next point, which relates directly to the sciences, which has caused so much prosperity with us. Think back now to the prologue of John's gospel. The prologue, the very first page of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were created through Him, the Word. That word in Greek has a very powerful meaning. It means logos. Logos means, going back now to Aristotle, to, to the Greek heritage, logos is the laws, the rationality that governs the whole universe. Do you see now how critical that, that idea is now? This is, the new, this is the new foundation for Western civilization now. That in the universe, again, you're hearing this, you're like, of course, duh, right? Because again, we're, we are the recipients of this knowledge. The idea that in the universe, it is all governed by these laws. The laws of gravity, the speed of light, how, how certain gases behave. Uh, I mean, there's all these laws that, that we're, we're, we're bound to. Right? Notice what a scientist does now. You see, a scientist, think of every scientist, what, what, even if they're religious or not. Every scientist makes a presumption of the universe. A scientist says, okay, I want to learn about a phenomena. I want to use my mind. Now, do you hear... Do, you hear the Greeks there. I want to use my, the power of my mind. And I want to understand this phenomena in the universe. You see, every scientist believes, presumes, that when I apply my mind to the universe, I will discover an order to the universe. Right? See, that's a presumption. Why is there order in the universe? Because that's a Judeo-Christian idea. Because now God, who's outside of time who is the creator, infuses his creation with the logos, with the rationality, reason. Right? And that if I apply my mind, I can discover these laws, make observations, measurements, make hypotheses, tweak it, adjust it, and then discover new phenomena. 
our entire civilization rests on this preposition. Right? And it comes precisely through the Judeo-Christian framework. Now again, extra credit. <laughs> Do you know the name of the first university in the world, the Western world? It's the University of Bologna, northern Italy. So thank the Italians. It was first established in 1088. So think of the University of Bologna, think of the University of Paris, think of Oxford. Notice now, these first universities that were starting to spread now arises out of medieval Catholicism. Why there? Why at that time period? See, at this point, by, by the 11th century, we are no longer, in a sense, you can say that civilization is finally settling down, right? Because remember, the Roman Empire collapses. Uh, scholars argue about it, but for the most part, say the Rome collapses officially around the 6th century. So imagine, all of Western Europe collapses, right? Who fills in the gap? The church fills in the gap, right? Fills in the gap. And so, and so now we're consolidating, we're, we're, we're trying to restructure civilization, we're, we're, we're trying to re rebuild it up. So that's why it takes a long time by the time we get to the 11th century when things are finally settled down now, civilization. Because once you're no longer worried about eating or, or rebuilding your civilization, you can finally sit down, relax, and you can start to ponder, right? You have the luxury of pondering. Because remember, school is a luxury of those who are comfortable, right? Because if you always have to worry about going and fetching food, you're not going to read your books, right? So, and so, 1088 now, first university, University of Bologna, University of Paris, uh, Cologne, all the ancient universities were all attached to cathedral schools. Why? Because the first students were priests and nuns. Again, Why? Because now, notice this now, so if God creates the world, right, all of this is his creation, and he's given us all the ability to, to, to study and to learn, to penetrate, use the power of my mind. If I get to study the world now, I will know better the creator. Right? Do you see that? Do you see that, that, that huge connection? It's almost like, a, think about it. We've all been in love, right? We've all been in love. What is the first thing on your, you do on your date when you first went out to dinner? You sat down. At least if you were, if you were a good date. <laughs> you said, where did you grow up? Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your childhood, right? See, if you were a good date, you're asking, you want to know about the other person. You're not always talking about yourself, Right? What are you doing there? You're saying because you, you're interested in this person, so you want to know everything about that person. Because the more you know about them, the deeper the love. Christianity now, through the university system, approaches that same viewpoint. If I study the world, I will know the Creator. He's infused His creation with Him, reveals the glory of God. Which is why, again... It's not by accident the first scientists were priests. Were priests. <clears throat> kind of give you some ideas. So, if you can't read from the back, so Nicola Oresme discovered that the Earth rotates. Oh. So. Rotates on an axis. Nicolai was the bishop of Lisieux, southern France. Nicolas of Cusa theorized the earth moves through space. He's a cardinal, right? Which means he's a, he's a bishop in Rome, right? Copernicus himself, he was a, what's called a canon in the church, means that he, he dedicated himself to living near a church and he helped out with masses and in the liturgy. Copernicus himself, because posited the earth moved around the sun, right? Or let's jump now. The current theory of the creation of the universe, we call it the Big Bang Theory, right? 
postulated uh, right, in the 1940s or 50s, around that time period. You know who invented that idea? Even Einstein himself thought that idea was wrong, but, but, the, but the one who created this theory convinced Einstein, and Einstein agreed, finally, finally agreed with him. But his name was Georg Lamantra, Father Georg Lamantra, a Belgian Catholic priest. Why, again? Because the first, the first scientists were, were, were monks and were priests because they wanted to study, the, study the world and the knowledge of God. And so that's why you had the power of the mind using that. And that is why the university systems exploded. Which is why, by the way, all the other nations, where do they send their smart people to study? They send them back to the States or Western Europe to study in our universities, right? All the leadership, if you, if you go to the leadership in China, a lot of them studied in our universities. Why? Because the quality now of this long thousand-year heritage of knowledge has been built up. We have, the United States leads in new patents for prescription drugs. We're the best innovators. We're the best innovators in medical technology. Our hospitals, and uh, I know we're in election season, so it's a hot-button issue, right? But uh, we have some of the best health care in the world, right? Why is that? Why does... Why does that arise now? Hospitals arise again, like the university systems, out of medieval Catholicism. Because the idea that every single person has human worth and human dignity. Christ commands us to help everybody who is sick. And so, boom, hospitals are invented. Schools are invented. And you see an echo of this, by the way, because at the next graduation you go to, notice what your kids are wearing. What are they wearing? Gowns. Why? Because it looks cool or because they're light and airy? The, remember, in college, what, what color do you wear when you graduate from college? Black gowns. Doesn't look familiar to anybody. <laughs> See, the gowns that students wear in schools is an echo that the first students were clerics, monks. You see that connection there? See that echo? That echo of, uh, of our heritage. So Chris, you're gonna wear, you can borrow my cassock when you graduate. You're gonna have to pay any money. All right. So, now, coming down to time, so, oh man, having too much fun. Too much information. So let's jump. All right, the formation of the Bible. So, by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, you have the Old Testament. Right, the Old Testament, 40, uh, we can talk about it briefly, because uh, our Protestant brothers and sisters have seven less books than the Catholic Bible, right? And we can talk briefly about the conditions of that. But so, by the time Christ arrives on the scene, the Old Testament is still in flux. The Jews don't have a defined canon of, of what it will call the Bible yet. It's still in flux, right? Uh, but at that time period, you had what's called the Septuagint. Septuagint means in Greek, 70. Basically, what the Septuagint translation of the Bible was, was a Greek translation of the original Hebrew. Because remember, by the time of the first century, Judaism is spread throughout the empire. So think about that map. I don't want to go back to it. But think about the map in the, uh, that I showed in Rome. All the Jews are scattered. And many of these Jews in the outer areas no longer spoke Hebrew. They spoke Greek. Right? And so the Jews wanted to learn more about their heritage and their, and their faith. And so they translated the Bible from Hebrew to Greek. And that will be the Bible that many of the apostles themselves of the Old Testament would have. Right? They referred to it. It's called the Septuagint. So that's 46 books there. 46 books of the Old Testament. Now... 33 AD, Christ dies, he sends out his apostles into the world. In the year 40, which I mentioned when there's about a thousand Christians, how did these Christians in the year 40 know what Christianity was? Because there's no New Testament yet. There's no New Testament. The New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, 
were written over a period of 50 years, between the year 50 and the year 100. That's that time period when the Bible was written. And so, now, again, why? Because Christ didn't give us a book. Christ, rather, institutes his apostles, right? We have witnessed in Matthew 28 when you read that line. He breathes on the apostles, gives them his authority now to teach, and he sends them out. That's where the word apostle means. It comes from the Greek word means those who are sent out. So Christ gives his apostles the authority to teach in his name now. What is the pillar and foundation of truth? 1 Timothy 3.15 says it is the church. 1 Timothy 3.15. The pillar and foundation of truth is the body of apostles now which goes out. That makes sense because, again, remember, in the year 40, there was no New Testament yet. You had the Old Testament, of course, but the new one has not yet been formed. Why so late? Jesus promised to come back. In the early church, they thought he would come back within their lifetime. And when they started getting old, they realized, okay, Jesus is not coming back yet. <laughs> we need to write this stuff down, right? So, and so they started to write down the first book, uh, scholars believe, is uh, St. Paul's letter to, no, St. James's letter, written around the year 49. Uh, maybe 1 Thessalonians. Uh, beats that, but Thessalonians was written around the year 51. Uh, the last book written is St. John's letter, which was probably written around the year 90-something, uh, right, around that time period. Again, now, so, you're in the early church. You have all these different writings of the New Testament floating around, different letters. Right? How do you know what goes in the New Testament? How does that come about? Because the church wanted to know. Because there's all these different texts and writings floating throughout the ancient world now. Uh, we saw this, remember a couple years ago, the Da Vinci Code made a huge splash. Like, oh, we found this new, this new gospel. It's going to change the church. It's going to rock Christianity. Like, we've known about this book forever, right? There's tons more. The Gospel of Thomas, uh, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Peter. There's all these different writings in the ancient world. And so the church had to figure out, all right, what goes in the New Testament now as they were formulating it? They use four criteria that the church uses to put the New Testament, the 27 books together. So, so now the church gathers, right? The first time the church gathers is in what's called the Council of Rome in the year 3... I'm going to get this right. Uh, my next slide. Yeah. Okay. Council of Rome, 382. So what a council is is when, uh, is when the bishops gather together. So who the bishops are, I think that's important. The bishops are, why they're so important for us, is the bishops are the successors of the 12 apostles. They passed down their authority, which, gave, which they gave Christ. And as they were building up the church, they would ordain uh, other men to take their place. And so that's how, through laying down on hand, what we call apostolic succession. Right? And so that's what I say, when I say bishop, that's what I mean, the successors of the apostles. Our current bishop is Jaime Soto for Dice of Sacramento. Bishop Soto can trace his lineage all the way back to one of the original 12. So, 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 that's, so, so that's the... So that's the succession of, of, of apostolic succession. St. Peter himself, Pope Francis, which I mentioned earlier, he is the 266th Pope, uh, or 68, I was getting mixed up. But he can trace Pope Francis all the way down, 2,000 years, all the way to Peter himself. We have documentation for that. So, so as, the, as, as, the, as the church gathers now in 382, the question before the church is, what writings belong, what, are, what writings are inspired by God? And so the four criteria the church hammered out was, it must have apostolic tradition, meaning 
It must be written by an apostle or by a co-worker. So it must be directly related to one of the 12 apostles or St. Paul, right? And so, for example, uh, Mark was a disciple of Peter himself. So Mark, who wrote his gospel, got most of his information from St. Peter. Uh, Luke wasn't one of the 12, but Luke was a disciple of St. Paul. So the Gospel of Luke, a lot of that information is from Paul himself. And the Acts of the Apostles, which Luke also wrote, he got that because he was walking around with Paul, right? He was journeying around with him. So, first line, what books belong? Is it related to an apostle? Can we directly tie it to one of them? If so, okay, it meets the first criteria. Second criteria is Catholicity. And then Catholicity, again, meaning... Remember the word Catholic means in Greek? Universal. universal. So that's what it means, a universal. So that's what it means here. That it must be universally applicable and revered by all Christians of the ancient world. Has it been used throughout the whole, the whole ancient world of that time period? Is it revered by the ancient church? Okay. <laughs> Orthodoxy. Meaning, does anything in these writings contradict the tradition that's been handed down to us? Does it fit the story of Christianity? Right? Does it contradict anything we've received? If it has no contradiction, then it meets the third requirement. Uh, for example, uh, the Bishop of Antioch, for example, banned the Gospel of Peter because it denied the humanity of Jesus. Right? So it means that Jesus wasn't a human being, so he says, okay, obviously that denies what we've received from the apostles. That because remember, Christ is truly man at the same time, truly God, right? So that's why the Gospel of Peter was thrown out. Fourth, was the writing, whatever this book we're talking about, was it used at Mass in the liturgy? Was it read when, when the church would gather on Sunday? Was these writings used in the liturgy? Liturgy comes from the word liturgia, which means the public worship of the ancient community. So was it used at Mass? So, if it met all four of these requirements, then the church said, okay, then it is inspired by God then. That is, that, that the true author is God. And we can talk, kind of talk about that. Time's kind of running short, but maybe another, another topic. But, so, that's the first criteria used. And so all the other books which did not meet this, Gospel of Peter, Gospel of Thomas, and there's tons of other books that were rejected because it failed one of these four. All of the 27 books of the New Testament which we have all meet this. And scholars to this very day, they analyze, they break it down, and, and, so, and so it still meets all of that. So, so they meet in Rome. Pope, at the time, was a pope by the name of Damasus, 382. They came up with the list of the Old Testament. They come up with a list of 27 books. Council of Hippo, which is in northern Africa, meets in the year 393. The bishops there meet there. And they affirm what, what they said in Rome, 382. Council of Carthage, they meet in 397. Same thing. So the list, the official list that comes out of all of these councils would be what you have now today. In, in the Bible. So this Bible here is the same Bible that the Catholic Church and the other Orthodox churches use. So, and so it's the same list. Uh, there's a cool letter. There's a cool letter next here. It's kind of hard to read from the back because it's white. I'm sorry. So the Pope, the Mass, the Mass is writing to a bishop, uh, Exuperius. They have funny, cool names mm -hmm. back there. So in the year 405, we have this letter still. So he's writing to so the Pope is writing to a bishop. I think he's a bishop. What's a Marde France? Uh, don't quote me on that. Oh, well, actually, Pope Innocent. I'm sorry, the time. So he writes a letter, and this is verbatim. Uh, he starts listing the books of the Bible, which by this point had now become codified. Right? It says which books really are received in the canon? This brief audition will show. Audition will show these. Therefore, are the things of which you desire to be informed. The five books of Moses, known as the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Joshua, son of Nun, Judges, the four books of Kings, 
He starts listing it all off. Ruth, the prophets, the five books of Solomon, the Psalms, uh, Tobit, Esther, Judith, First and Second Maccabees, Ezra, Chronicles. So he basically lists all of, the, all of the books of the Old Testament by this point. And then he says, because you can think about it, because the other, the other bishop wants to know, all right, which is, the, which is the book? Because remember, they didn't have bound copies like this in the ancient world. Books were expensive in that time period. You had to hand write the Bible. And, and, so, and so Bibles weren't as, as, as readily available as they are to us now. Okay? And, so, and so, I don't have to read this all, but he basically lists out all the books of the 27 books of the New Testament here. So, uh, and then he starts uh, condemning other books which don't belong. So, so that's cool. So that's 405, we have that letter to there. And so by this point now, so the question here is, here's a cool question. So it's only up to the 4th century that now that we have, now that we have the, what we call, what we have in our hands, the Bible. Because now, here's a cool thing. So the bishops themselves, why do you think they had the audacity to think, to come together and decide what books belonged in here? Because it goes back to the idea that Christ gives his teaching authority to his apostles. And by the apostles' successors, they have the authority given by Christ now to teach in faith and morals. Not that they're holy, because church history shows priests are wicked, right? They're always bad human beings. But rather, they have the authority now, inspired by God, to guide the church and to form the Bible, which the criteria which they laid out. So that's where we get the New Testament. A question... Uh, coming toward the end now because we're getting five minutes past the time. But uh, so, our Protestant brothers and sisters have seven less books than we do. Why? So during the Protestant Reformation in 1517, Martin Luther would translate the Bible from the Latin to to German. Right? He translated the the Latin. At, the, at this point, the Bible was written in Latin. Yeah, he translated it to German. He disagreed. He, he, he went back to another form of the Bible in the ancient church, which did not have these seven books, essentially. And so that's why when, when Luther says, he, he says, he rejected those seven books, so he took them out. From the New Testament? Old Testament, Testament. From the Old Testament. Um, and so it would be the list, uh, so the seven books. It's, it's, it's in their Bibles, but it's, uh, it's under the topic of uh, apocryphal. In their section, there's a called an apocryphal section, which these seven books would be like uh, Job, uh, Tobit, Maccabees, so the other books. And so Martin Luther removed it during the Reformation. The church in the council would gather again, together again because now uh, this challenge is, is brought to the church. They say, well, all right, which books belong there then? So the church again met together in Trent, the Council of Trent and reaffirmed what they said in Council of Rome, Council of Hippo, Council of Carthage. It says, no, the ancient book which we have been given, handed down by the apostles themselves, handed down through the councils of the ancient church, we affirm that these books belong in the Bible. And so that's, and then as, as, as Christianity splits, right, from, from the Catholic Church to the different denominations now, that's where the major split now arises. We maintain the ancient canon, and then, and then their, uh, Martin Luther's, they, they revere his version. So that's the main distinction there. So that's why our Protestant friends have seven less books in their Bible. And so, all right, a lot of information, huh? It's all great stuff. It's all, all good stuff. So that's how, for this very day, why this is the most important book. Which, by the way, as, as I come to the conclusion, I'll open up for questions. The American experiment, which we all sons and daughters of. Look at our founding documents. I, I preached this at Mass not too long ago. If you read the Declaration of Independence, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. 
Do you hear now Genesis in that question, in that, in that, in that sentence? Endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, meaning they have human dignity, each of us, which means no state or government could infringe upon, upon these God-given rights, which King George was violating. Right? And so the Americans said, no, we have human dignity. We're, and so we were built upon that. No government can take that away. And then, focus now on the Constitution. The Constitution, as we see so, uh, so brilliantly on television now that we're, we're, we're in the election season. Right? Our government is split into three, as we learn in junior high or elementary school, three co-equal branches, right? Why is that? The Falling Fathers themselves would refer back to Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, where it says, the human heart is wicked. What does that mean now? That we cannot trust authority in one single entity. And so that's why the Founding Fathers said, break them up, the three separate branches, so they can check each other. right? Because we know the human heart is wicked, and we can't trust power in one branch. Therefore, three branches. Founding Fathers themselves would say, the Bible is their number one source as they were crafting the principles of our nation. And look what it has produced. The wealthiest, most prosperous, the most freest nation has ever existed. And that is not to say that, don't get me wrong, that the United States is perfect. No, we got our own problems. But the principles by which now we've been built upon, we're always striving to perfect. Right? The end. Oh, man, it's a lot. Man, I went over a little bit. It's 725. Man, you've been sitting a long time. I know it's hard. I can't sit long. But so, uh, any quick questions, follow-ups? Um, I can touch on it briefly. Uh, just throw it out there. Any questions come to mind? Christopher? Um, on the last slide from the Pope, it was, saying, it was condemning those, those other um, books. Mm-hmm. And it was saying, in the, um, it says right there, they were written by a different, uh, they were not written by Peter and John. Yeah, so uh, the books which appear under the name of Matthias or of James, the less. So it's also name all these different people. He's saying, no, reject those books because they don't meet the four criteria, right? Because again, there's all these different books floating around. Um, thinking of, if you ever read the Quran as well, uh, the Quran has many passages about the Blessed Mother of Jesus, uh, these, these, these Christian-esque passages. Why? Many scholars believe it's because when, when Muhammad put the Quran together, of course a Muslim will disagree, but when he put it together, it was that there was all these different texts floating around. And so at this time period, so, so Muhammad took these books and made it a part of the Quran. They're known as the Gnostic, you call them the Gnostic texts. There's tons of them floating around in the ancient world. You can still find, again, the Da Vinci Code is a product of that, Gospel of Thomas, all these other texts. We've always known about it. Scholars have always known about it. It's nothing new, by the way. But we rejected them because they were either written later, after the apostolic age of the first century, or they directly contradicted the teachings of the apostles themselves. So that's why they rejected some of so these those, books. those apostles wrote things that uh, contradicted? Oh, no, well, saying, oh, these people? are... Fake people. These aren't the proper people. The yeah, like, like the gospel of... Uh, so, so when I say like the gospel of Peter, for example, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean Peter himself wrote it. See, the ancient world, there's a technique. To, to, legitimize, to legitimize your your writings, you put a famous person's name on it. Oh. Huh. So the gospel of Peter gives it more heft, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's the technique, the ancient world. You wrote your... You put someone's famous name on it, and then it gives you authority. And so just because we call it the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Thomas, doesn't mean Thomas or Peter wrote it. Uh, yeah. Good, 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 good question, Chris. Uh, so that's the question, because the authorship was unknown. Uh, these other texts, these other texts, we have the authorship are unknown. Uh, they don't relate back to it, or they're just a book, that, that particular region. Because again, in the ancient world, all these different pockets. Uh, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's part of it, yeah. But part of it. Oh. Still, there was a lot written though that survived through monasteries and oh yeah, stuff. 
That's another part. Uh, that's quoted here, but I skipped it. But uh, as, as Rome collapses, there's monasteries now that pop up in Europe. Benedictine monasteries. These monasteries would preserve the ancient writings. And so they became the seedbed of Europe, of Western Europe, these monasteries. And so they preserved a lot of... This is where the monks would handwrite the Bibles. You know that image of a monk on a desk writing? These monks handwrote the Bible to copy it until the, the vending of the printing press. Uh, but oh, another cool fact. So again, the providence of God. When Christ in 33 AD now sends out his apostles, right? Look at the confluence of world events. There's a common language in the ancient world. Greek, right? Which resulted because of Alexander the Great, who was so amazing a general, he conquered the ancient world. As he's conquering, Greek now is spoken everywhere, right? So there's a common language. Rome is at the height of its power at this time period. What do the Romans do well? They build amazing roads. They're the inventors of concrete, by the way, the Romans. They invent the concrete. So when you go outside, make sure, thank you. Thank you, Emperor, for the concrete. So now, in the year 33 AD, when Christ sends out his apostles, there's a common language, and there's a vast network of roads. So when Christ sends out his apostles... It's the perfect conditions. Common language. And it can filter all throughout the ancient world. Because Rome, you can see how God uses frail humanity and our mistakes for his glory. God used the greed of Rome and their bloodthirst for power and wealth to build a whole network of roads. Which now the apostles themselves would walk and would bring, as Pope Francis says, Hand grenades. Huh? St. Paul would say this gospel message is in Greek, dinimus, which we get our English word dynamite from. It is so dynamic and explosive. Like a grenade. Huh? Cool. Man, so good. Any other questions? Kind of winding down, so. Oh, it's a lot more. It's a lot more. A lot more we can talk about. This is just... I, uh, one last question, uh, two, Jennifer and then uh, uh, Marsha. Yeah, the, the, oh, the oldest one, uh, gosh, I gotta look this up, it's been a long time. But, uh, yeah, we have copies. The most ancient copy, oh, man, I forget what date, but we have ancient copies. A lot of them get destroyed. Yeah. Uh, what's cool, too, about it, by the way, you know when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls? You heard of that phrase? Uh, near Jerusalem, they discovered the old, sc old scrolls and the, some of the lists of the Old Testament that they found there, which are thousands of years old, are exactly the same uh, from the Old Testament we have now. And so the list, so there's amazing continuity. Again, all of what I've just said could be backed up through archaeological findings, by the way, and scholars and historians. Uh, so I'm building off of them, so it's not just my ideas. So, so were the, uh, the beginning um, manuscripts or whatever, were they all in Greek then? Is that yes. what you're saying? Then they Mostly. all translated? Uh, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. Okay. Uh, St. Jerome would translate the Greek to the the Vulgate, it's called um, in four fourth century, four ninety seven, I believe. Uh, the Pope said, "All right, Saint Jerome. Saint Jerome was amazing, by the way. He spoke perfect Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, and so he translated the Bible into into Latin, which was at this point now because Greek had fallen away. Uh, Latin had become our common language again, which is why French, Italian, huh?" French, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, are all, you're all Latin languages, right? Because Latin was, uh, uh, was a Romance language, and so that's what we spoke. And so we translated the Bible to Latin, and uh, you can, if you go to Bethlehem today, there's a little room you can go into where St. Jerome translated the Bibles. Uh, you can still go there in Bethlehem. He was a monk in Bethlehem. So uh, 
he translates the Bible, and then by that point, the Bible starts spreading, and starts getting translated to different languages. Uh, at this point, yeah. Uh, Marsha? Uh, I was wondering about the different books that were dropped. Uh, for instance, the book of Maccabees, and what was the reason? Uh, uh, no, we, uh, Martin Luther uh, rejected that book. Yeah. Uh, I forgot the rationale that he used. Uh, I don't want to misquote him, but he had a rationale for the reason why he, he rejected the seven books. But, uh, oh, yeah. It was a newer, uh, Janelle was saying that it was a newer language. So if I wasn't wearing Hebrew and Greek. Because yeah, by that point with the Maccabees, uh, they're, they're later on, first century. Uh, Maccabean revolt. It's from the first century. The Maccabees, they were fighting. No, actually, no. I'm sorry, a BC, BC. So, oh, okay. for Christ. That's why the Protestants don't believe in purgatory because that's where it's uh, taught in Maccabees uh, that we can pray for the dead. So that's part of it too. Mm -hmm. Idea, because in, in, uh, in Maccabees, yeah, the practice of the Jews praying for the dead. Mm -hmm. So they don't believe in purgatory. There's no reason to pray for the dead if. Mm -hmm. They're gone. We can talk about purgatory too sometime. That's a yeah. that's a huge topic. That's it's a great, great. topic. <laughs> Explore that, yeah. Good. Uh, I don't want to keep you here because you've been sitting a long time. But uh, say a little prayer as we close. I'll be hanging around a little bit, so I'll set you free. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your holy word. We ask this for the spirit which you gave the apostles themselves to be now imbued within us, that we may continue to follow our Lord, to grow more in love with him, and to proclaim his dynamite to the whole world. Because the same word which galvanized the early church, we too have also received. There is no difference with us and them. May we be your witnesses, make us holy, and guide us always. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen, Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit.